Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Talking about the reading. Talking about the, everybody was just already grabbing their purse and they're <clears throat> talking about the reading. The reading is going to be lengthy. And if you'll allow me here just a little bit tonight, I'm going to be doing a little weaving back and forth. I'm going to be paralleling and weaving a little back and forth between our story and and uh, in the aspects, certain aspects of climbing, just back and forth, weaving back and forth. And kind of like, you know, you ever got one of those pretzels that were twisted? Well, that's this tonight. You can't have a twisted pretzel without two parts. All right. And so I'm going to be weaving these two things together and uh, hopefully something better than a twisted pretzel at the end. Amen. Uh, You might feel twisted maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Deuteronomy 29. I'm going to start with verse number one. All right. And I'm going to go to verse 15. To read it all. I think it's vitally important. Vitally important. The Bible says, starting with verse number one, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And he's referencing that. He's referencing all the way back to whenever they came out of Egyptian bondage, back to Mount Sinai, the region of Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and to all the servants and to all his land. The great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen owed upon you and thy shoe is not waxen owed upon thy foot you have not eaten bread neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink that ye might know that i am the lord thy god and when they came unto this place sihon the king of heshbon and og the king of ashan came out against us in the battle and we smote them And we took their land and gave it for an inheritance unto the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half a tribe of Manasseh. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, and your officers with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp from the hewer of the wood and to the drawler of the water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he has said unto thee, and as he has sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us 
this day. He says, I make this oath of this covenant. So I'm taking you back to this. You have, you've witnessed several things through your deliverance from Exodus, your wilderness journeys, your victories right before going over Jordan into Canaan, all these things. He says, but I want to, you, you've experienced that, but I want to take you back to their origin. And their origin is tethered to a covenant, to laws and precepts and commands. He says, and this that I'm asking you to buy into, it's not just for you that are here. But it's for those that are not here. And he's not talking about the sick that couldn't make it and stand before him. This is for the future generations. And so for a little while tonight, I want to minister this with the help of the Holy Ghost. The legacy of a climb. The legacy of a climb. Amen. We're going to ask the Lord to help us to take these 15 verses. And perhaps he would do something with them before we leave this place. Father, I come to you this evening. I need you, Lord. I pray, oh God, I know the things, oh Lord, that's been up on my mind. And God, things that have been written down on page for some times. And different times have mulled over. But I pray, oh Lord, this evening, I feel, God, that this particular juncture in the road, you would have me, Lord, share and speak and minister. God, these, with these verses of Scripture tonight, I pray, oh God, it give us ears to hear, Lord Jesus, what the Spirit is saying to the church tonight. God, I do not want, Lord Jesus, God, to, Lord, miss, Lord Jesus, the mark. But God, God, I want, Lord, to be in tandem, Lord, with the will of the Spirit. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I have always had uh, somewhat of a, uh, a proclivity, an interest, if you will, uh, in, in climbing, mountain climbing, rock climbing, not because I am a rock climber. It's not as though I've ever went to the Garden of the Gods and have climbed up any of the rock faces there from the very bottom or repelled off the side of one of their cliffs. But I've just always had this uh, inclination toward rock climbing and things of that. I've, I've read several books and several accounts of people that have climbed Everest and climbed other rock formations uh, among uh, some of the notable ones within the United States. Just always had a tendency. And for what I've learned in my reading and what I've learned in my uh, study and an interest of rock climbing is this, that in the last 20 years, uh, expansion boats, these are things that they use in climbing, have given rise to a phenomenon that's called sport climbing. There are primarily two different types of climbing. There's, there's free climbing, which uh, relies less on uh, any type of anchors or any type of other instrumentation to get up the wall, except maybe for a rope and maybe a companion. And then there is aid climbing that depends heavily upon uh, uh, what they call cams and boats and other things that they can attach to the side of a wall in order to make their climbing the wall a little easier. But these expansion boats in the last 20 years that have been developed have given rise to what's known as sport climbing. This is quite distinguished from what is known, let me speak a little rock language here with you, what's known as trad climbing, which is basically short for traditional climbing. Uh, because in traditional climbing, climbers many times are, are placing uh, nuts and cams and they are removing then these things that they refer to as their protection away from the wall. But on a sport route, there are permanent boats that are placed into the rock formations as closely as six to eight feet apart. 
So every six or eight feet, you're coming upon a permanent boat that is affixed in the side of a rock formation. Oftentimes, these boats are placed there by a climber going up an easy path to the mountain. Many times it could be a trail. The incline is very easy sometimes to even walk up, going up to the height of it and rappelling down the mountain to put in those boats. Or it could be that those permanent boats was placed by a traditional climber, one that's well-versed with how to climb the original way and set paths and demark places in stone. And so they're put there and along all these different free routes and what that has allowed is for climbers to get up very steep, sheer rock formations. I'm talking about formations that can be every bit of a mile high. They can go up these rock formations uh, not taking with them any cams or any other uh, materials in order to accomplish what they need to accomplish and it's almost a, 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 a boom-proof safe route because somebody has put this permanent boat or permanent nut six to eight feet apart in this wall. And so this individual can latch onto that and climb about six or eight feet. And you, you know, you have the span, of course, or the height of your body in between there. You know, I'm six two, so when my feet are down at one boat, I'm almost to the next boat with our arm reach. So it allowed you just to kind of climb and hook on, unhook, unhook on little by little along the way. And so this leader would just climb and he'll clip into a boat one after another. And so sport climbing over time has skyrocketed in popularity in, in more recent years. There are now uh, documentation uh, of hot shot young teenagers who can climb what's known that the, the climbing uh, uh, indication of difficulty for rocks and stuff go from like 5.1 to 5.0 I think it's 1.5. It's some Yosemite decimal system. Well now these young hot shot teenagers when it would have used to have taken somebody that would climb traditionally years to hone a skill, to somehow learn all the ins and outs of rock climbing, to climb like a 5.14, you know, a uh, 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 steep cliff. Now these hot young shots, because of sport climbing, because there's boats and permanent things already in the side of the wall, they're, they're just getting their feet wet, and they're climbing up these same rock formations that has taken some of the elders or the more mature climbers years uh, to, to overcome because they had to set their own boats and remove them or set something else and take it away but now these their permanent boats have allowed these these young hotshot teenagers and I'm no disrespect to the teens but to climb and scale these walls they wouldn't have any clue how to set the boat they wouldn't have any clue how, how to put, if you will, a little cam in a crack so it would hold fast, but they can climb because someone has went before them. In other words, these difficult routes have been made manageable for the generation that is up and coming. They've been made manageable by very experienced climbers to the degree that we have young that are climbing successfully what it took years old people to climb. They can climb terrains that took others years to learn to know how. And so what has happened here, seasoned climbers have provided a safe route for generations of upcoming climbers to traverse the same area in less years and be successful at it. 
In Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is rightly named as it is named because its name means the book of of remembrance. Here in chapter number 29, Moses is giving a recollection, if you will. He's given a summary of the actions of God and what God did for the children of Israel from the moment of their deliverance to their travels during the wilderness until the moment that they are now right before entering into the promised land. God begins to tell them and he begins at Exodus from Egypt and through all of their 40 years of testing in the wilderness until now their arrival in the plains of Moab. The Bible tells us in the verses that I read to you that on the plains of Moab prior to their entrance into the land of promise, God is renewing a covenant with Israel. He's renewing a covenant with Israel in order to revitalize a relationship with his people. More particularly, he is wanting to revitalize a relationship with a new generation of people. Because this is a covenant that's as old as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is a covenant that is old at the time that they worshipped at the Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, whenever they came out of their Egyptian bondage. But we know through the wilderness years, lives are going to be lost. And so he is reinitiating and renewing a covenant to revitalize a relationship with people that may have only vicariously lived for God through their parents. And so he's reestablishing a relationship or establishing a, a fresh relationship with this new generation. When the covenant was originally made at Mount Horeb, the Bible speaks that there was virtually a different generation of people that were accountable at that time compared to this time before entering into the land of promise. You had to be a certain age whenever they first came out of Egypt at the Mount of Horeb. You had to be a certain age to have the responsibility of entering in and keeping the covenant that God renewed to them there. Sure, there were laws and precepts and all these things, but you had to be to a certain age of accountability to be able to accept that responsibility and accept entering into that covenant. So it is quite possible then, Brother Mason, that 40 years later, the Bible says the old generation died off, but in essence, the old generation that could be responsible and that could actually enter into that covenant died off. It is quite possible there were some kids that were at the giving of the covenant at Horeb that are now at the giving of the covenant on the plains of Moab. There's possibly some kids that are there that were not responsible enough to enter a covenant then but are capable of entering a covenant now, it's quite possible that a young child of the previous generation has survived all of the funerals and all of the deaths of the wilderness journey that was due to the disobedience of some in the previous generation that did not cross over the Jordan River the first time, but they are now standing here for their second time at the Jordan River. And now they're of age to be able to hear, to be able to listen, to be able to understand, if you will, all of everything that Moses had 
had to say. They could understand the guidelines of the covenant. They could hear them. They could, if you will, even participate in the guidelines of the covenant. God had done many things for the children of Israel. It's demarked right there in the chapter that I read unto you, the verses I read unto you tonight. The Bible speaks some of the things that God did. He begins, Moses begins to recount all of the plagues that God had brought upon Egypt. I, I doubt not that he may have, we don't have everything that's recorded ever in scripture. If I may just read a little bit into here, I doubt not that Moses began to tell them, don't forget that when there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in Israel. Don't forget that whenever there were frogs in your ovens and in your in, in the beds of the, of the pharaohs and of those of Egypt, there were no frogs found among you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that whenever lice infested you, that there wasn't that going on in Goshen. These children quite possibly had witnessed all of these things. And then he goes from there, not just telling of their deliverance, but he goes a step further. He says, God was with you through all of your traveling of 40 years in the wilderness. He said, can I tell you that the clothes you have on today are the very clothes that you left Egypt with. The clothes that you have on today, they did not wax hold. There's not a thread that's bearing anywhere upon your garment because God has even sustained the clothing upon your body. Not only has he sustained the clothes on your body, but you've grown from childhood to adulthood. And these clothes must have evidently grown with you. So I'm just recounting what God has done in your life, what you have witnessed in your life, what your life has been attached to. He goes a little bit further. He says, may I remind you for recollection purposes that whenever there was no bread found in the wilderness, you ate manna from heaven. When there was no meat to put between your teeth, quail fell almost three foot deep among your camps. God! God was there with you when you could not find no oasis in the desert and there was no babbling brook. God provided for you water that came from a flint stone called a rock. When you had no other option, he fed you. He made sure your thirst was quenched. He said you never tasted wine or strong drink because it wasn't an option and God supplied, amen, for your thirst. Oh, God. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. He's telling them all of these things. He's recounting all of these things because God was concerned that a generation, listen to me now, that a generation would grow up having seen the signs of God, having seen the miracles of their deliverance from Egypt, having experienced the provisions of the wilderness without ever pledging any allegiance to the roots from whence all those things come. That they would always have their hand out for manna that was given to them, water that flowed to them, clothes that grew on him and never attached themselves to the roots of where those things were derived because when you think of it their life up to this moment only knew this they wore the clothes they wore because they were provided for them they drank water from the rock and they ate manna from heaven because those things were provided. They were there. 
if I state it in terms of what we talked about formerly, they tethered themselves to those anchors and they pulled on those boats because they were available to them without any effort on their part, without any responsibility on their part, without any duty of... Someone say amen. It's not hard to drink water that you don't have to find. It's not hard to eat manna that you don't have to bake. It's not hard to wear clothes that you didn't have to weave. So God says, I got to tell the new generation. They weren't old enough to take any responsibility 40 years ago, but they're old enough now. I want them to understand the covenant that they're entering into, that every, every drop of water, every bread that fell was tethered and put there with purpose. Whew. It was made available to them because generations before them sowed into this covenant because generations before them invested in these laws. Generations before them took the commandments and the precepts upon their shoulders and said, I'll be one of his. Why I feel the Holy Ghost in here. In addition, as they drew close to the entrance of their promised land, God even recounts to them more recently that they went against the kings of Shihon and the kings of Og just on the opposite side of the Jordan from the promised land. And the Bible states it in these terms. And God gave them the victory. Could you imagine? You go to war, God says, I'll give it to you. Go to battle. God says, I'll give it to you. They won their victories against Shihon and Og. And as a result of that, the Bible says the land, the land that they got from those wars, then were given. That's a key word. Were given as inheritances to three and one half tribes of the, the tribes of Israel. Amen. To the Gadites and to half the tribe of Manasseh. Amen. These things were given unto them. God just gave it to them. Someone say amen. And I'm not underestimating the rigors of the wilderness. There were fiery serpents there just as much as there were manna from heaven. I'm not underestimating that it wasn't a difficult route. But to that generation, it may have almost seemed like a fail-safe guarantee in provision and victory and settlement because they didn't necessarily have to do too much for it. It was given to them. So Moses, in his urging, he's telling them, before you enter the Canaan land and fight another battle, he says, we need to renew a covenant. I need to renew a covenant with you. We had it with your parents and grandparents. He said, but we need to renew the covenant with you. He says, and I want you to understand, children of Israel of this generation, that this covenant goes all the way back to Father Abraham. This covenant goes all the way back to Isaac and it goes back to Jacob. Yes, it was delivered at Horeb after they came out of Egypt, but I'm renewing it with you now right here in the plains of Moab because children, up until this time, you have been tethering and attaching yourself to the rigid anchors that men and generations before you set.
And it's not hard to attach yourself to something that's already founded. It's not hard to attach yourself to something that's already been made secure. He's telling them, you guys have been swinging from anchor to boat to anchor to boat. You have swung from the blood on the, the lintel on the doorpost of your houses in Egypt. Amen. From water to the rock, from manna from heaven. You swung over, it seems like, from one to the other unconsciously because you've not been made aware of the covenant. You've not been made aware of the laws and the precepts and the statutes that made all of this available. Someone say amen to you. Look what he says in verse 4. He's already recounted some things, but this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says through Moses. He says, yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive. Look at this. And eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. You know what he's saying? You've been swinging from anchor posts, manna, bread, water, clothing. You've been swinging from spot to spot. He said, but you're really not perceived. How you've been made a beneficiary of everything that you've been made a beneficiary of. In other words, he's saying you're somewhat ignorant Woo! of the privileges Woo! that you have been extended. Until this time, you've attached yourself to the things that's been provided to you until this day. But today, he says this more than over again. He brings up this matter of today, but until this day, he says we are going to show you not just how to attach yourself to the anchor, but we're going to teach you how to drive the anchor and why they are important to have to begin with because here is a covenant that I want to include you in on. Here's a covenant that I want to make you aware of that substantiates the water that you drank, that substantiates the, the manna that you had, that substantiates the clothes that you're wearing. Here is the commandment that underwrote, if you will, your path through the Red Sea. So it's amen. He's saying to this day, all of these things have been supported by commands and precepts that the generation before you marked the path with. According to the covenant of God. And to this day, this has been the case. You know what he's saying? Nothing has changed. Someone say amen. They say that these young men who's climbing these, what would be years ago, unclimbable walls for someone of their inexperience, that these young know how to sport climb, but they don't know how to lay a route or a leg of any of the boats and anchors on a single clip trip. Of traditional climbing. Nothing new. Let me say this. That there's nothing new. That they can scale. If someone don't lay the path for them. These young climbers are regulated. Only to paths that's been laid down. They'll never go any other ascents. Until they learn how to lay down. A boat. A tam. An anchor. They can climb what's been laid all day, but they'll never go anywhere else, claim any other heights until they understand how to develop a traditional climb. Amen. Because a traditional climb is that you delineate the route, but you also climb the route. 
And what that's led to is this. A new generation that knows how to climb, but they don't know how to lay any route down. Someone say amen. In other words, they know how to get the manna that's provided for and the water that gushes forth, but they don't know the inner workings, how to produce any of it. Someone say amen. The young sportsmen themselves, they know how to tether themselves to an anchor or boat but they don't know how to set an anchor. And here's the fact of the matter. It don't matter who you, you can make an anchor as good as you want to make an anchor. And they call them permanent, Brother Mason. They call them permanent boats. But from my understanding of reading, over time, it doesn't matter how permanent it's supposed to be. From the pull of the weight of a body upon it, after several generations and people, those anchors are going to loosen just from continued use. Not for only that matter, they will loosen because some will come along the trail and they will abuse. the anchors just because they think it's funny to tamper with the path and so my question then to the younger generation the new generation is this what will you do when an anchor becomes so loose it detaches itself from the rock face what will you do when it's become so abused that you can no longer depend your weight upon it will it be gone for good Will it be no more? Will there be a gap in the path? Will six feet turn into 15 feet? Between point to point? Or will someone know how to make sure the anchor again in the wall that had been faithful there for years? Amen. Because you can't just simply climb. You've got to be creators of the path. I'm trying to preach even to some young people tonight. You can't just depend upon mom or dad or any generation before you because they set the path and you'll just tether to that. You've got to come to a place in your own life with God that if it loosens, if it's abused, if it fails and is gone, I know how to reset the anchor. I've been a part of the covenant. I know the origin of this thing. just can't climb you got to learn how to become creators of the path and I was overwhelmed the other day I was doing a little bit sloppy scrolling through Facebook don't do that very often but I came across a picture sister on the Penrod had up old picture it was Clifford Corbett which was the first pastor of this church several members that he had baptized in the river one of the members in the picture was my grandma McGee my mind just started thinking here's the first pastor of the church that I'm now the third pastor of this church here's the first pastor of this church baptizing my grandma there's a church still established here and I have an ancestry that goes all the way back to her baptism and even further on my mom's side if grandma was here it'd be grandma it'd be dad it'd be me it'd be my children Somebody hearing me? That's not because we all just knew how to climb. That, that's because we've endured some things. Some anchors been pulled out, but we weren't just taught how to climb. Somebody learned how to be a creator of the path. That if that gets loose, 
Clifford Corbin was the first one that came in this area preaching baptism in Jesus' name. If that anchor ever gets loose, pastor's going to stand up and say, wait a minute, we can fix this. I know the origin. I've been in covenant. I don't know just how to climb this. I, I know the origination of this thing. It's all about the legacy of a climb. I need a copy of that picture. Good copy, good digital copy of that picture. Because I guarantee you this ain't the only time I'm going to be preaching this message right here. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 10. Look here. This is Deuteronomy 6. This is like early on in the recollection of Deuteronomy. The Bible says in verse 10, And it shall be, Lord speaking, Moses speaking, but the Lord, you understand the Lord speaking through Moses. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land. He's speaking about where they're at right now in Deuteronomy 29, on the verge. Whenever he's to bring you into the land, which he swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, goes all the way back there. To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities. Look at it now. Which thou... Did build us not. And houses full of good things. Which thou. Filled us not. And wells dig. Which thou. Diggest not. And vineyards and olive trees. Which thou. Plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. Verse 12 goes on to say. When you've inherited all these things. That you didn't lift a finger. When you're eating the grapes from the vineyard that you didn't plant. And you're sleeping in the bed that someone else built. And you get water from a well that you didn't even remove one shovel of dirt for. When you've anchored to all these things. Don't forget the Lord your God. Don't don't forget the Lord your God. Because if our lives consist of attaching ourselves to what's been provided as a new generation, then I ask you, what will we do whenever they say those anchors and those paths and those markings, if you will, are no longer valid? Because mark my words, folks. The day is coming and it's not far around the corner. In certain episodes and ways, it's already happening. They are already questioning the paths and the markings and the anchors that the church has established from generation of time ago. What are you going to do when they say you can't climb here anymore? You can't climb that anymore. Let me ask you in these terms. If the house is destroyed, will you know how to rebuild it? If the vineyard and the olive yard is destroyed, could you plant the proper seed to regenerate the same produce? If the well is filled with some earth, could you redig it? Listen, 
This is where it comes to not just knowing how to climb, but knowing how to create the path. Isaac, even as a man, that is the son of Abraham, in his generation, the Bible says it came at a point in time that there were all of these wells in the land that his daddy had dug, his daddy had created. His daddy and his servants had turned over shovels of dirt in order to get deep enough in order to discover water, to have water for their families and their friends. But in Isaac's generation, the Bible says there were enemies and there were adversaries and they filled the wells with dirt. They filled them with earth. If Isaac had simply just been a climber, I'll just take whatever's provided for me. He would have been dealing with dehydration in the land because all he would be able to do is look at what's formerly a well that was now filled that he couldn't do anything about. Because if it wasn't provided to him, that he couldn't do anything with But something must have happened in Abraham and their days of being together a father and son. Son, I'm not just going to show you how to put a bucket on the end of the rope and put it down in the well. I'm going to show you how to dig a well if there isn't. And so when the enemies and the adversaries come and they fill the well up with dirt, Isaac says, no problem. I don't only know how to take water that's provided for me. I know how to find water. Boys, get your soul out. We're going to re-dig the well. That's the legacy of a climb. That's the legacy of a covenant. Someone say, yeah. So he says, you're going to get these houses. You didn't build vineyards. You didn't plant. Amen. You're going to get produce that you didn't have anything to do with. Note what he says. This is Deuteronomy 6. Oh, Lord Jesus. I said long on the reading. Let's just hope it's not a continuation in other directions. Help me, Jesus. The Bible says, earlier in Deuteronomy 6, look at this. Look what the Lord tells Israel before he talks to them about how they will inherit the land and inherit houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. Look what he tells them. Six and four. Anybody knows that Deuteronomy six and four? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He goes on to tell them how they should love that Lord with everything that they have. I'm just paraphrasing here. He goes on to tell them that all the words that's been commanded them, that they should be in their heart. And look at verse number seven. This is before he talks about when they get to Israel and how they're going to have all these things that they didn't have to lift a finger for. He says, and thou shalt teach them. Hold on. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. What's going on, Moses? He said a generation's going to get there that's going to have had things given to them and more things given to them. But they don't need to forget where it originated from. I don't want them to be accepting things on the platter until they realize. 
realize whether things on the platter are rigid. He said, you teach them diligently to your children and you talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by thy way and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. He says, you put them on your doorposts of your house. You put them on the gate of your... He said, you put it as a front between your eyes and you put it upon your arm. Right? said, you wrap it around there. Those Jews that wrap that little commandments around their arm, it's usually here close to their elbow. The reason why is whenever their arm is against their body, it's close to their heart. He says, I want that demarked everywhere. Because I don't want just climbers in your generation. Someone say amen. And look, bear with me. I'm having too much fun. Back in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 10, look. So he's wanting them to enter into this covenant, right? This renewing of the covenant. And he has everybody stationed before the Lord. This is important. You can read from verse 10 down a little bit. He has all these things, these people that are stationed before the Lord. Here are, 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 are the labels, if you will, of some of them. Captains of tribes, elders, officers, all men of Israel, their little ones, wives, strangers in the camp, both hewers of the wood and drawlers of the water. It's arrangement of all them before the Lord as they enter in, as they assume the responsibility of this covenant. Everybody doing all right? It's not my Father's Day sermon, but it could be. Notice the first group that's mentioned. It's the men. He said, we're going to enter into covenant and we want responsibility to be taken. He said, but the first line of course for this is the men need to come forward. And then after them, your little ones and your wife. Someone say amen. amen. If I want my son to be a climber, more importantly, if I want him to be able to create a path, I'm going to have to stand forward as one that will enter the covenant. We're doing ourselves a biblical hierarchy disservice with wives and children having to take the lead whenever the men should be. I'm not being chauvinistic and I'm not some just stupid idiot up here. But whenever he spoke about this goes all the way back, he didn't say it goes all the way back to Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. He said, this goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by virtue of their names behind them was their little ones and their wives. Right, right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I don't want to get in trouble here. It's not even Father's Day. Glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. But this is the way that the arrangement was before them. The men were primarily responsible for their wives and children. It wasn't that the wives were to be liable to the children and the husband. He said, thank you, Bishop. And so therefore, Moses, as we stand here on the plains of Moab, he says, and I share this new covenant. Really just isn't a new covenant. It may be new to you, but it's not a new covenant. It's just the renewing of a covenant with a new generation that God had made with Israel at Horeb and even more historically with all the patriarchs of old. Now look what he says in verse 9. He says, keep. Everybody says, keep. He says, keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Let me tell you, 
drinking the water, eating the bread, living in the house, partaking of the vineyard is the doing of it. But he said, I need you also to keep it. And when you keep it, you protect it and you guard it. And if you have to, you reestablish it. And it's important to get it in the same spot. Whenever, whenever I worked for the land surveying company in Evansville, U.S. Surveyor, and they did land surveys, and I drew up plats and plots of land and did surveys and such with them, they would go to some of these surveys. And, of course, over time, these iron monuments and such would deteriorate from erosion and from weather and such. They would deteriorate. And I remember our boss one time, he went to one monument, and it was like one of these original 1800 like whenever they first divided the land up, monuments. And they would take their little wand to, to, with their GPS to get its location. And he said, the moment I touched it with that pole, he said, it just went to dust. Number one, you never want to lose an original monument. Because you must replace it. But there's always the probability of human error of getting it back right where it was. Matter of fact, whenever we did surveys and we're trying to find stuff, we would always put our money on the Otis Monument. Because we know it was more dependable than anything that's been reset. So he had to reset that, but he had to get it as close to perfect as he could in other words surveying for him wasn't just about finding monuments it was about reestablishing them if they were deteriorated I'm preaching too long I'm so sorry I'm, I'm sorry but I'm not sorry it's just kind of how I feel he said you got to keep it you got to be able to protect it you got to be able to guard it you got to be able to, to reestablish it it's not that you just do swing from one to the other you got to be able to do something with it when it's not there to swing from he says, I come to you with the words of this covenant. At other times, he uses the word oath. They seem to be very interchangeable, but the word oath seems to emphasize not only the renewal of the relationship that's signified by this very old covenant, but also the entering into the legacy that's been handed down from generation, from generation before them of the covenant that started with the forefathers all the way back with God and Abraham. Just because it's not that we're just bringing a covenant that's never been brought here, but we are just renewing, revitalizing a very old covenant that's a legacy unto you. Now look at the Bible here, verses twelve through eleven. He says, "I want you to, I want you to enter into this covenant. I want you to enter into this covenant." And look what he says: those that are standing here, he says, he "says this isn't just a covenant." It's not just a covenant that's, that's established unto you, but it's been established a long time ago. And it's for everybody that is standing here today. Look at verse number 14. Neither with you only do I make this covenant, he says, but I make it with those that are not standing here today. He's saying, this isn't just for you, but this is for generations that are going to follow you. Just as you have been a generation that's followed your fathers, this is for the generation that will follow you. And just as you had things you could cling to, you need to leave something for the generation after you to cling to, but not just to cling to. Know how to be the creators of. Look at verse Psalm 78. i got to shut up. Psalm 78. Is everybody doing okay? Listen, I only do this once a month. One time at a month. 
Maybe that's a better phraseology. One time at a month. That means I could do it this week and next week and nonetheless. Psalm 78 verse 4. The psalmist says, we will not hide them from their children. Shewing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength. Everybody say strength. And his wonderful works. Everybody say works. That he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and hath appointed, look now, a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers. That they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come might know them. Everybody say them. This is important. Because he's saying in verse 4, we're going to show them God's strength and God's works. And then he says in verse 5, he says because there's been established something with Jacob. And it's been the law and the commandments. Wait a minute. And we come to verse number 6 then. He tells them then that that generation to come might know them. Them what? Not just the works of God, but the commands and the laws of God. Not just what they attach to, but how they were even created and formulated. That they might come and know them better. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them, them. Everybody say them, them. Works and law to their children. Everybody doing okay? Oh, Lord, help us. As time went on, I'll close in the next 10 minutes. As time went on, climbers wanted the function of an anchor. Listen to me very closely. Climbers wanted the function of an anchor without the visibility of an anchor. Or even more importantly, without the punctuation of an anchor. And what I mean by this is this. Today, traditional climbers, the anchors that they use, they'll shove in a little crevice of a rock and they'll pull on it, make sure it's tight. And it's made in such a way they can release it as they go up the mountain. But the original traditional climbers would drill inside of rock faces and set their anchors. And then many times pull them back out with certain tools so that they wouldn't be left in the mount but the demarcation of where they had set their anchor was there. And you know what? Modern generations started saying, we don't like how anchors and where anchors have been make the rock face look. So if we could somehow figure out how to do this without an anchor, or at least the visibility of an anchor, then we would be better served. So we have all these old traditional climbers that use these things of protection called nuts and pros and cams in rocks and crevices and the first traditional ones drilling into the face of the rocks and being very invasive, if you will, with their protection. But again, once removed, leaving noticeable markings where they had been. There's other people today, and I, I've read the book, I've read the National Geographic article, I've, read, I've watched the, 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 the documentary on Alex Hinold. He is known as now one of the most premier solo rock climbers. He don't use any cams, no rocks. The only thing that Alex depends upon, you need to look it up, because some of the even images on him on the side of a cliff half a mile up with no gear except chalk behind him, and he's just using his fingertips and his toes. I'm telling you, El Capitan, some of these big walls in Yosemite that are a mile high, he's climbed. 
without any anchors. He's a solo climber. He's done a lot. It's interesting. If that type of stuff interests you, come see me. I'll give you all the resources and you can look it up. But no anchors are involved. The only thing that Alex has is self-reliance. The only thing that Alex has is self-reliance. There's no demarcation where he's been. There's no visibility of any anchor where it's been placed because there is none. He's self-reliant on his fingertips. Literally, folks, there's been time I've read that just to his first joint on his finger has held him in place sometimes. He'll exercise daily just by holding his whole body weight on his fingertips and doing pull-ups on his fingertips because he's self-reliant. But my Bible tells me, and I read this from the ESV, and I may not have included that, Brother Zach, but 2 Corinthians 3 and 5 says this, that not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So they went from scaling heights with anchors and companions even on their journey. It isn't, folks, he's done all these climbs by himself. In most of them, there's not been another person around. Sometimes they've got video of him only because he's allowed people to video, video him from the side. But he normally doesn't have anybody with him. He'll start many times before daylight even happens because he knows it's going to take so many hours to get to the top. He don't have any acres. He's void of any dependence outside of himself. Is everybody doing all right? Stand with me. I'll come to a close. But the difference is this. In the first setting, with the old-timer, traditional climbers, when a man falls and he has an anchor or he has a belayer, somebody that can catch him with a rope in his fall, a fall is nothing more but a learning experience because you're supported and you're saved by the anchor or by other companions. But when you become a solo climber, a fall is not a learning experience. A fall is death because you thought you could only be self-reliant. Because when self fails, there's no safety net to catch you. When self fails, there's no anchor to hold you. When self fails, there's no companion to belay you. When self... I have read, this is a direct quote, that in the last 40 years, only a handful of climbers have pushed to free soloing and have pushed free soloing, for that matter, to the razor edge risk. You know why only so many have? Because those that have, half of them are already dead. Someone say amen. Because I am fearful. But if you don't know how to create a path, when the original path gets abused, misused, loose, and undependable, you might take it upon yourself that you'll just become self-reliant. And you'll chart your own path, not knowing how to create one or to mark one, but you'll just be relying upon self. Someone say amen. Let me say it like this. I know I need to close. I am going to. I would, I would suspect that the sheer rock face 
of a cliff or a climb that is punctuated by holes from where anchors have been would be a whole lot better than some memorial cross erected at the base of the cliff from a solo flight that went wrong. So ask yourself, what can you endure? The demarcation of anchors in a wall or crosses at the base of a hill? If we enclose our eyes tonight, they say solo climbers, those that have fell again, which have been many of them. And really, I have the highest regard and respect for this Alex guy. Blows me out of the water when I see some of the camera shots of where he's hanging on. I get that feeling in my stomach as though I'm on the wall. All right. But if he still, if he continues to push the envelope and the risk, he's going to be numbered among those who has a memorial cross at the base of a mountain because he thought self-reliance was enough. Many have fallen to their death, some of them due to avalanches on snow-capped mountains, due to tidal waves from along seashores where they have climbed cliffs. Others have failed due to weaknesses from injuries of their own members of their body. So what I'm getting at tonight is this, is that it's not only a mountain they're climbing, but many times in the process of doing so, there are other adversities that encroach upon the path as well. There are other dilemmas that present themselves as well. And so I'm what I'm saying tonight is this, maybe old self-reliant you could handle the mountain, but can you handle the avalanche? Can you handle the tidal wave? Because if you had an anchor, you might be alive. If you had something to tether to, you might be able to endure. And it's in those moments, it's in those moments that we realize the value and the appreciation of an anchor. Not just of existence, but of how it came to an existence. That if it needed to be reset, if it needed to be reestablished, that we don't know just how to climb it, but we can be creators of a path because we've been responsible by entering in the same covenant that the generations before us have entered into. And this thing is going to take us to the promised land. I'm asking, is there anybody in this room tonight that's been eating manna, drinking water from a rock, seen signs, miracles, and wonders, have lived in homes you've not built, ate a vineyard you've not even planted? And you have taken all of that because it's been provided. You've, you've got victories because they've been given to you. Land because it's been given to you. And while you attach yourself to all those things, please hear Brother McGee tonight. You need to somehow attach yourself to the legacy of the climb, the legacy of the covenant, and know how to create the path pre-adventure. It ever be used and abused or mistreated or somebody say, you can't go up that way anymore. You need to know how to lay a path that is firm, established, and dependable. Not just for you, but for every generation that's going to come after you. As parents, we need to be teaching our children to be climbers and pathways. Not to be self-reliant. Not to go off, if you will, scantily somewhere all by themselves to do their own thing. No, 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 no. Let's just stay with the tried and the proven. And if it needs to reestablish, we can do that. 
because we're entering to the same covenant mom and dad did. I'm entering to the same covenant Clifford Corbett did. I'm entering to the same covenant that my grandma McGee did. And it's no mountain for a climber, but it's also no path that I can't etch into the side of the wall because I've been given the tools and the knowledge to do so. These are the commands, the laws, and the precepts. These altars are open. Would there be an adult? Would there be a young person? Would there be a woman? Would there be a man? Would there be a boy or girl? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.